Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts the first chapter. I want to just kind of continue this series that we've been working in and and working on. Uh, We've been looking at this incredible gifting that God has given His church to fulfill our purpose. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. I could say it this way. Salvation is the greatest gift that God could ever give a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Would somebody say amen to that? It's the ultimate gift. Salvation is the ultimate gift of God. Everyone on this planet, anyone that doesn't know Jesus, the gift of salvation is the greatest gift that God could give any one of us. But once you are born again and saved, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, there's another gift that God wants to give you. And that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at that. In many circles, uh, people have somewhat let this drift uh, in, in their serving God. Some theological circles will tell you that only the apostles had the ability to lay their hands on the believers and for them to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And theoretically, if that's true, if it's true, then once those original apostles passed off the scene, that gift is no longer available. But John the Baptist said, while he was baptizing water, in water, and Jesus came, he said, I baptize you in water, but Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? He's the one who releases this gift into the life of every believer. The Holy Spirit enters your life at salvation. Every born-again believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful for that today? Isn't that amazing? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you as a born-again believer. That incredible potential is there. We have the Holy Spirit living in us from the second that we accept Christ. But God says, I have another gift for you. Not only to give you salvation... And indwell you with the Holy Spirit. He says to do the work I've called you to. To be my witnesses. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to enable you to live for me and serve me beyond your human ability. And so we've been looking at this baptism in the Holy Spirit. How it's still available to the church today. And I want you. I've tried very hard in all these sessions together. For you not just to think about the apostles or the prophets. Everybody with me? or the pastors, or the evangelists, or a person with a title, or a day of the week on a Sunday. But for for all of us to see and know how this empowering of the Holy Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this gift for every believer, is not just for certain people at certain times, but it works in every one of our lives. We all are going to have moments in our life where we encounter a crisis. Anybody in this room ever had a crisis? Let me see your hand. How many truth tellers in the house? Anybody ever had a crisis? Yeah. Anybody ever walked into a moment and you looked at that moment and said, I don't know how I'm going to make this. You ever had those days? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Let's go to the other side. Have you ever had some opportunities given to you that you felt were too big for you? Have you ever had an opportunity and you say, I don't know if I'm big enough for this. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I can tell you. That's one of the ways you know you're following the Lord is that God will put you in situations where you recognize this is too big for me. Do you know why God does that to us? Not to scare us, 
to cause us to turn to him and say, okay, God, you got to do this. So in moments of crisis, we all face them. In moments of being overwhelmed with life, we all face those. In moments where God may open a door of opportunity that, that intimidates us, God will be there. Those are the moments when the Holy Spirit will do something fresh in your life where you will discover God's big enough for this moment. It's not me, but God's big enough for the moment. So that's what we see. I want you to think about this. Where this baptism in the Holy Spirit, is uh, it was the common experience in the early church. When you read through the book of Acts, which is the historical record of the church, okay? It was the, it was the common experience. Every author, think of this, every author God used to write the books of the New Testament had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every church that was planted that you read about in the book of Acts was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was the common experience. The disciples in the early church considered it essential. When they met new believers, the first thing they wanted to know, have you received the Holy Spirit? That was the first question. Jesus said in the upper room at the last meal before he'd be crucified on a cross, he told the disciples, it's expedient for you that I go back to the Father. Because until I go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit can't be released. So Jesus said it was expedient. The early church said it was necessary. Every author that wrote a New Testament book was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the good news for you and I is that every one of us can receive that same gift in our life. How many are thankful for that today? I want you to just begin to make that happen in your life. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. This, I'm just reiterating what Jesus said. He's getting ready to go back. He's, he, he makes this statement and immediately he ascends back to heaven after the 40 days following the resurrection. And what does he say? We read here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, guys, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven, but you're going to be fine because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and empower you to do what I've called you to do. It's going to happen. So let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. I want to show you three three verses here very quickly where we find the same people being filled with the Holy Spirit again. Here's my point today. I, I, want, to, I want to share with you today not only the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at that. But I want you to see how you can be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to that term. What? Say that out loud. Say it again. Say continually Filled. Say it again. Continually filled. We have a problem in our Christian faith at looking at one-time events and not process. How many heard what I just said? We we kind of we kind of look at our Christian journey like we get our uh, church badges. You know, like okay, uh, are you saved? Yes. Look, salvation badge right there. Okay. Question is, are you walking in that salvation? See, I didn't just, I haven't been there, done it. Are you doing it? It's not an event. It's a relationship. Everybody with me? It's ongoing. And we tend to do that a lot of things. Okay, uh, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yep, there's the badge. Been there, done that. Well, are you filled with the Holy Spirit today? That's the question. You see, that's where we're moving. We're going on. Now, some of you won't understand this. Some of you will. I'll try to help. There, there's, there's one vein of, of uh, Christian faith that has three marks. You are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever heard those terms? Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. They're 
So you had a day you got saved. What does it mean to be sanctified? In this, in this view, that, that, that you could have an experience after you're born again where you encounter God and you, you never sin again. Wouldn't that be amazing? The problem with that is I haven't met that person yet. And then you have another spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we got a little joke we tell about that. Let me, I, I probably shouldn't do this, but I will. And you can blame someone else if it doesn't work. So there was this lady going to a church that believed you could get saved and then sanctified, you never sin again, and then filled the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So her husband wasn't a believer. And uh, the pastor went out to witness to the husband on the job site, it's a construction site. And he went out to witness to him, and the, the, this husband wasn't a believer. He was an angry man, and he didn't want anybody talking to him about Jesus. And the pastor was trying to witness to him. And a guy picks up a shovel and hit the pastor with a shovel. Well, the pastor got up and picked up the shovel and hit the guy on the head with the shovel. And the guy said, I thought you were sanctified. The pastor said, I thought I was too. <laughs> How many are thankful that it wasn't just a one-time thing. God's still working on us today. Okay. So, so we need to stop looking at events and start walking in relationship. Amen? Start walking in relationship. And that's what I want you to see today in your life, right where you live. Not just on a Sunday. Not just guys with titles. But in your life, I have some really great news for us. We can continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is an ongoing process. So let's look at this. Acts chapter 2. Let's, let's look at verse number four. I want to show you three verses where the same people, this is said about them. Acts 2, 4. All of them, are, so everybody, say all, say that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of them. All right? Now we just go over two chapters in our Bible. Let's look at Acts chapter four. Look with me at verse number eight. Here's, we're talking about Peter. He was in that group in Acts two. So here we go to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 8. What are we reading? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So here he is, two chapters later, filled again with the Holy Spirit. And then we go to the uh, few verses down in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed. Now that's pretty important. After they prayed. Pastor, how do I continue to allow the Holy Spirit to fill me? Well, prayer is a really good idea. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were what? All filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So here's this pattern of continually being filled. In these moments of crisis and opportunity, they had a relationship with the Lord, an empowerment with the Holy Spirit that wasn't a one-time event that you just look back to and, and hold on to. This was a continuing, ongoing encounter where regardless of the situation, God would fill you again and again and again to meet the need that was there. There are going to be some moments in your life where life is not working the way you want it to, and you're walking the floor wondering how you're going to get to the next day. And I have some good news for you. In that moment, God will fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you what you need to face the challenge that you're in. Continually being filled. It's not a religious thing, a ritual thing, a, a church house thing. It's a relationship with God that allows Him to give you what you need when you need it. 
In fact, we, we really need to reconsider how we look at challenges. Now, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a masochist. I don't, I don't want hard times to happen to me. I, I think sometimes a little weird for people that pray for hard times. How many have enough hard times without praying for them? I've once in a while heard these people trying to sound spiritual and it's like they're praying, God, give me a hard time. I get away from people like that. They, those people make me nervous. Something's not working there. Uh, you know, I get enough hard times without looking for them. They come find me. Anybody find that to be true? So, but here's what's changing. I don't like them. I don't ask for them. I, I don't try to create them. I don't blame them on God. But what I do, I've come to realize when something big hits me, I know God's bigger than this. I know I'm not alone in this. I know I don't have to run from this because these are the moments when God shows himself real in my life. So three times we find the same people God is saying they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The same one again and again. Why? They were in a moment where they needed the Holy Spirit to refill them. Let me give you a picture. Here's an image of this word filled. What does it mean to be filled? When God fills you, F-I-L-L-S, when God fills you, what does that look like? Well, that word was used in Luke chapter 5. You remember when Jesus asked Peter, hey, could I borrow your boat to preach? And Peter says, okay. Now, Peter's not a believer. He says, I'll let you. And, and, and Jesus says, okay, I want to thank you for letting me use your boat. He said, I want you to row out the water, put your net down. And Peter says, look, you're the preacher. I'm the fisherman. Don't get in my lane. But he said, I've tried it all night. I didn't catch anything. Jesus said, row out in the deep water and throw your net on this side of the boat. And the Bible says when he threw his net down and did what Jesus said, and they pulled the boat in, so many fish filled the boat that it started to sink. Do you get that picture? When God fills something, it's not barely enough. It doesn't reach the top. I'm reminded of my chemistry classes. It's not test tubes and beakers, you know, where you finally measure it exactly right. When God fills something, he fills it up so much that it's pressed down, running together, running all over the place. God fills... That's the same word. When God filled Peter's boat supernaturally with fish, there were fish flopping everywhere. There was more than enough. Another place it was used in the New Testament is where they filled a sponge. Now think of that analogy. Here's a sponge. What do you do with a sponge? Well, you put it in the water or the liquid and you squeeze it and release it and it's filled with liquid. But why did you fill the sponge? So that you could squeeze it and release the water that's in the sponge. And then go back and fill the sponge again. And release the water and go back and fill it again. God will do that in your life and mine. He will fill you again and again and again. How many times do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How many times will you let God squeeze you? How many times do you want to encounter being filled again? How many times will we let God release His Spirit through us? Every time we allow God to use us, God refills us. Some people say, I haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit in 30 years. Don't say that where other people can hear you. Because every time God uses you, He'll refill you. Every time you do what God puts you on this earth to do, it doesn't mean you have to preach a sermon. It doesn't mean that you have to be in front of people. It's just every time the kingdom of God comes through your life, God's going to fill you up again. Every time, mom, you love those kids when you want to do something else. Okay. Every time when, when you forgive that person that you'd like to do something else. Okay, I have some good news for you. God's going to fill you with this Holy Spirit. Every time you're kind to unkind people, God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. 
Every time that you give an answer to your faith, the Bible said, when it's a little intimidating, when the opportunity's there but challenging, God will fill you with His Spirit. God will do it again and again and again. He's continually filling His church. Now think of what that means. So if, if I can be filled again, think of this, you can't fill something that's full. If something's already full, you can't fill it. If something is full, you can't fill it. Evidently, think with me, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit today and tomorrow I'm going to need to be filled again. Do you know why? Because life makes a withdrawal on the presence of God in our life. We, we put a demand on that anointing. We put a demand in that thing. Doing good things will do that. When you're serving, ministry, praying, loving, serving, being nice, helping, we're, we're pouring it out. And the good news is God will fill us up again. So evidently, you can be filled and need to be filled again because you're serving and God's using you. Now, I've tried to get to this for several weeks, but let's look at this to illustrate. Let's go to Acts 4 and verse 1. I want you to see this. It's a picture of how our life works and how God will fill us. I see Presley and Thay over here. They just got back from thousands of people being one to Christ in Honduras. Come on, let's thank God for that. Aren't you thankful the gospel just going, 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 going? Amen. I, I, you know, uh, like today, we invested uh, some the Jeffersons in a ministry somewhere. When I was a young pastor, and and uh, and God would call people into ministry from our church, or God would call people to start a church, or you know, the right way, not the bad way. Never mind. You don't know about church splits and stuff. But when 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 God would call people to to into ministry and call people from this church to serve, I used to think, man, we just lost somebody. And one day the Holy Spirit said, well, if that's how you look at it, you lost them. But if you'll plant it, plant them, if you'll plant them, you're going to get a harvest out of that. How many heard what I said? And so there are times we have to look at this and see what happens. I'm getting ahead of myself a little. We keep looking from a lack position. We keep looking from a human position. We keep looking at life from there's always an end to the resources. But I have some good news for you and me. Are you listening? We serve an unlimited God. And so when you take a moment that could look like reduction and turn it into a blessing, God's going to replenish that. Isn't that who he is? Isn't that how he works? And so so I, I want you to see this, this analogy. I want you to see how this works for you and me. So we're Acts 4 verse 1. The, the priests and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now remember, a lame man had been healed in chapter 3. And Peter and John are preaching, and these religious leaders are very upset. They came up to them. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were appalled and disturbed. They had crucified Jesus, and now these two guys are doing what Jesus had been doing and saying it was in his name and by his power. Okay, They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Look at this. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So they go from 3,000 in Acts 2 to 5,000 men and their families in Acts chapter 4 because the kingdom of God was coming through them by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's keep reading. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. 
Watch this, guys. By what power or what name did you do this? What happens in verse 8? What does it say? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, I love their boldness. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's speaking of Jesus. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. But that's some good preaching right there. Come on. Right in the middle of this thing, they're saying, this is what's going on, sirs. If you're questioning us, this is what's happening. Jesus died but was raised from the dead. Jesus is working through his church. He's alive and well. Now, verse 13, look at this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, what's the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit in a moment of a challenge? When they saw the courage of Peter and John, And realize that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Do you see this? I want you to get this, guys, in your life and mine. How many times have somebody said to you, I've had people say to me, well, I I don't don't know what to say when people ask me about Jesus. I don't know what to tell people. I'm afraid to tell someone uh, uh, about the Lord. I'm afraid to engage that conversation. What if they ask me a question I can't can't answer? You know, all you have to do is tell your story. Tell your story. How many have a story? How many have a testimony? How many were lost and now you're found? Just tell your story. And what if they ask you a question you can't answer? Here, you ready? Say, I don't know that answer. Was that easy enough? But there's enough kingdom stuff going on, your story's going to make an impact. The Holy Spirit's going to get in that moment. God's going to do something. They said, wait a minute. These guys are operating above their pay grade. Do you see that? So wait a minute. These guys are unschooled. These guys didn't go. They don't have a PhD in theology. They don't have all the things we think you have to have. And here they are answering us. We don't know what to say. So they said, they're unschooled ordinary men. They were astonished. Look at this. And they took note. These men had what? Been with Jesus. Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and ascended back to heaven. And they say, it's like they've been with him today. You know what they're saying? It's like Jesus has stepped in this moment. It's like he's still alive and well. It's like he's walking around here and we thought we got to rid them. Look at verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, there was nothing they could say. Do you see what a miracle does? A miracle solves the argument. A miracle ends the debate. Are you with me, church family? The move of the Holy Spirit answers the question. You and I keep saying, what are we going to do? It's not what we're going to do. We just obey God and watch God step into this moment. What is God going to do? They said, we don't have anything we can say. What do you say? Verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You know, they, Peter could have just said yes and left, but no. Verse 19, Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves, whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. 
They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I love this. Now I want you to see this. I want you to think about this. This moment right here, the future of the church is hanging in the balance. This moment right here, the gospel going to every nation, hanging in the balance. Two chapters after the church launches, they're threatened. You better not preach anymore. You better not pray anymore. You better stop right where you are. I want you to realize that. The hope of the church was hanging in the balance. These men, had they given in and walked off and been intimidated, we wouldn't be in this room today. You wouldn't be saved today. You wouldn't have been healed today. Your family wouldn't have been transformed today. Your life would not have been changed. So in this moment of incredible challenge, this crossroad, the Holy Spirit showed up in that moment. Now you're going to face some challenges in your life. You're going to have some moments that maybe you don't think are this big that the church and the gospel and the human race is hanging in the balance. But I'm going to tell you, there are going to be some moments in life where a crisis comes and knocks on your door, where a person you love gets sick, where a job you depended on is taken away from you, where something you counted on goes, where someone breaks a vow to you, where someone violates your confidence and your trust in them, and everything in this life is going to shout at you, you better drop your faith, you better walk off from this thing, you better give up on this. God's not who you thought he was. He's not as real as you thought he would be. But I have some good news for you today, is that when the crisis comes and threats and intimidation are all around you, you serve a God who is not far off. He's in you. He's empowering you. He's going to fill you again. He's going to meet the measure. There's not a devil in hell that's greater than the power of Almighty God. There's not a crisis on earth that God does not have an answer for. I can't promise you the threat will not come. I cannot promise you that life will not hurt. I cannot tell you as a Christian that the enemy will attack you, but I can promise you greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. I can promise you that when life empties you, God will fill you. I can promise you when you don't have an answer, God has an answer. When you want to give up, God will give you something to strengthen you through that moment. And your crisis is just as real to God as this crisis we're reading about right here. Because you may well be the connection to your whole family coming in the kingdom of God. This crisis had the gospel for the world hanging in the balance. But your crisis may have the gospel for your whole family hanging in the balance. Your whole school hanging in the balance. Your neighborhood, your family system. You see, your crisis will be met with God's power and fullness just like anyone we read about in this Bible. It was a crisis. But what happened? They responded to God. I want you to see this. Let's look at verse 23. I'm reading a lot here, but I want you to see this. I'm so thankful for their response. There's a hundred things they could have done. But this is what they chose to do. Look with me at verse 23 in chapter 4. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, you've got to understand, these people that threatened them were the people that had just killed Jesus. You're, we say, execute, let the real, they had just murdered Jesus. They had just broken every law to murder him. They had broken everything they said they believed to murder Jesus. And these same people are telling them, you better stop. We'll do what we did before. 
we can do it to you. This is real stuff. These are ordinary people like you and me with families and homes and businesses and a life and school and children. And they had been threatened by people who had gotten away with murder and had no consequence for it. So this is what they faced. I want you to get this setting. It's kind of not a little storybook. Okay, so they come back and say, here's the deal. This is what they told us. We can't preach. We can't teach in his name. Stop praying for people. Be quiet. Go away. You'll be, off. You'll be fine. That's the, that's the news. So what did they do? How did they respond? Let's think about ourselves in a moment. What's, what's my response? What am I going to do? When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Wow. Prayer to them was not some ritual. It was their, it was the direction of their life. What do you and I do in those moments? Let me ask you a question today. Does crisis make you run away from God? Or does crisis make you run to God? You can tell where your faith is. You can tell your mindset. You can tell what we know about God. You can tell what God's done in our life. Because again, I can't promise you a life without a crisis. A life without a challenge. I can't promise you that everything on this life happens the way I think it should happen. But I can promise you that in those moments, God's big enough. In those moments, he'll fill you with what you need. And so these people have a choice. We're in a crisis. The comfortable, convenient thing is to run. Are you with me? The easy way out is to quit. The convenient thing is, I heard somebody call this, is become a submarine Christian. I'm just under the surface. Nobody knows I'm here. Everybody with me? (laughs) Nobody knows I'm here. It's kind of hard to be salt in life living like a submarine. Just put my periscope up and see, is it safe to put my faith out? Oh, no, there's an unbeliever. Let's get back. (laughs) Somebody ask you out for a date. Put your periscope up. I don't know. Are they a Christian? Let's look on their Facebook. Well, they're not a good Christian. They're not a bad Christian. Hey, maybe I could win them to the Lord. That's right. I always thought God wanted me to be a missionary. I'll be a missionary dater. That's what I'll do. You just need to put your periscope back down, stay in the water for a while. You're in trouble. Don't come to the surface till you get filled. Okay. Just for free. So what did they do? What did they do? They prayed. They said, we're challenged. But I have a God who cares about what I'm facing right now. Look at this real quickly. So... When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. I love, they didn't go in a corner and hide. They raised their voices together in prayer. They said, we're going to call on God. We're going to pray together. We're not going to isolate. We're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to be separated. We're going to get together and pray. We're not going to whisper. We're going to pray out loud. Anybody with me right now? We're going to pray. We can do the same thing. That was their mindset. So, so they got together and they prayed. Now watch this. They, they got a big challenge, but I want you to see, see how they think. Look at this. They, they, they got together and prayed. 
And, and this is what they said, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. What did they say? First thing they did, did they say, give me something? No, look at this. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. No. So what's the first thing they say? God, we know who you are. We're coming to the creator of the universe. They did, it, it's, it's like Jesus said, the, the disciples said, so how do you pray? He said, well, the first thing I do is I say this. My father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what a spirit-filled believer does in the moment of a crisis? We get our eyes off the crisis and we look at the creator and our source and say, God, I, I want to talk, but I want you to know I know who you are. I know who I'm talking to right now. Do you know who your daddy is today? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who we're lifting this prayer to today? He's not some distant theological uh, uh, mystery. He is the God that spoke and universes spun into existence. He's the God who has all power, all knowledge. He's everywhere at all times. They said, God, I'm not coming to an idol. I'm not coming to a theory. I'm not coming to a secondhand God. I'm coming to the creator God who has no rival, who has no equal, who is unparalleled. That's where I'm going. Do you with me? That's how they start their prayer. And then what's the next thing they do? They go to the word. I like this. There's some word people. So they say, I know who you are. And I'm going to go to your word. Look at this. Your word says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, Dave, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. My friend, you, it's too late <laughs> to know about God when you're in a crisis and you need to know about God. You need to be in your word. How many hear what I'm saying? You need to be reading that word because God honors his word, right? God's faithful to his word. So the crisis hits you in the face. What do they do? They say, we're going to pray. We're going to pray to the God who is able. And we're going to pray according to the word of God. Listen, you don't need to pray whiny prayers. One day I was whining, thought I was praying, walking around whining. And I'm telling you the truth. The Holy Spirit said, when you're done, are you going to pray? I was like. Yes. <laughs> what do you say? When you're done, are you going to pray? Yes, I'm going to pray right now. But God will let you whine. How many are thankful? If you want to whine, he'll let you whine. But it's hard to answer whining, but he will answer prayers. <laughs> so we got to have some word. What do you do? Where do you go? What's your foundation? So look, they're praying. They haven't asked him for anything yet. Are you watching this? See how they pray? God, we know who you are. God, we know what your word says. And then look at this. Look at this. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand and that should happen. So what they said, God, you're still in control even when they think they're winning. God, this crucifixion wasn't a problem. It was the solution. In other words, God, I know it looks crazy, but you're still in control. That's praying. Are you with me? That's praying. God, we know who you are. God, we know what your word says. And God, we know you're in control, even though it looks a little crazy around here right now. That's some good praying. Everybody with me right now? That's a spirit-filled prayer. Let's keep reading. Now, now they ask for some help. They go all the way down here before they ask for anything. Now, Lord... Consider their threats. God, you know what's going on. 
You know what I'm facing. You know my challenge. And here's my prayer. Enable me. Empower me. To speak your word with great boldness. And stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed. Someone say after they prayed. Not before they prayed. Not when they talked about praying. After they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. Wouldn't you like to be in a prayer meeting like that? Come on, tell the truth. Wouldn't you like to be in one of those? I want to be in one of those. I'm believing Calvary's going to have some of those. Would you come back if God shook you out of your chair? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Don't look at me like that. I mean, I'd like to see God shake the house where even the skeptics were like, did you feel that? Did you see that? I'm glad you're here if you're a skeptic, by the way. I'm happy you're here if you're a skeptic. I love for skeptics to come to church. I love for atheists to come to church. I love for agnostics to come to church. I'm not intimidated by atheism, agnosticism, or skepticism. Come on. I love you to come because you can hear the word here. You can encounter Jesus here. So for the sake of the agnostics, the atheists, and the skeptics that are here or online, God's going to shake your tree someday. If you keep hanging around, we're going to get this prayer thing down enough that someday you're going to be sitting in that chair one minute and the next minute you're going to be bouncing off the floor. Come on. Some, don't, don't, come on. Don't you believe anything like that? You need to get radical around here. You need to have a little more radical. We're going to have 10 days of prayer in October. I'm praying God shakes the whole place up. I'm praying people walk in and, and, and we look like an earthquake moving around here. That's why we prophetically named this building the epicenter. That's the point of origin of an earth shaking event. We named this church believing Acts 4 is going to happen again in our life and our generation. Come on, how many people? That's part of our vision. So what happened? They prayed. I want you to get this. Bring it home to yourself. I'm about through. I want you to bring it to yourself. So what happened? They said, God, give us boldness. God, give us boldness. Give us boldness, God. What, and, and boldness when we speak. I don't think we've ever had Christians so intimidated about just speaking, about just saying what's true. Please hear me. Please hear me about the end. They said, God, what are they asking for? Did they say kill our enemies? Did they say hide us out? No. They said, we need to be more bold. Well, isn't that what got them in trouble? They said, we need more of it. We need more of it. And they really weren't in trouble. They were in trouble with one group of men, but they were right in the center of the will of God. It's who are we trying to please. So listen to the biblical definition of boldness. Freedom in speaking. Wouldn't you like for God to just... Free you up to be able to say what you want to say. I don't mean rude. I don't mean ugly and arrogant. I don't mean self-aggrandizing. But I just mean the freedom to tell the truth. What happened to you? This is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is. Freedom in speaking. Listen to this. Open, frank delivery of the message. Boldness. I love this one. Without ambiguity... Boy, do we, have you heard some people lately? Have you, I, I would never say who, when, or where. I've heard some sermons lately that when it was over, I thought, what did they say? Well, people say, you know, people ask me hard questions. 
I need to speak without ambiguity. I have people ask me, do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? I tell them, let me quote John. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. That's not hard. That's very clear. But I hear people say, well, um, you know, um, God is a loving God. Just answer the question. They may be ready to get saved. Just answer the question without ambiguity. Pastor, what about this you? You know, currently it's this. And people voted that. And this is recognized here. This is recognized there. Just answer the question. Just speak the truth in love. Is anybody with me in the house today? But this is what I love the most. Free and fearless confidence. How many would love free and fearless confidence? And then this final, cheerful courage. There's something about a happy Christian that can do things that a mean Christian can't do. There's so many unhappy Christians, so many mean people talking about Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? The people that are standing up for the word, they look like they need to get baptized in joy again. Have you ever seen those Christians protesting things? They're the ugliest looking people I've ever seen in my life. I don't think I would go to their church either. Come, come, I know you're looking. Do you know you can be bold without being ugly? You know, you, you, can, you can go to, to an abortion clinic and not make everybody walking in a clinic think you hate them and want them to go to hell. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Do you know that you can disagree with people without hating them? Do you know that you can be cheerfully confident, cheerfully courageous, happy to tell the truth? I mean, if somebody's drowning and I have a rope and throw it in, I'm happy about that. They should be happy I threw them a rope. We should be confident they're about to save their life. What happened to us where we're either fearful or angry? What about cheerful courage? What about genuine Holy Spirit-filled boldness in our life? And then it said, Lord, so we want boldness. We want to be confident. We want to be free. We want to declare the truth. We don't want to be confusing. We don't want to be use ambiguity. We want to be clear in what we say. But we are cheerfully confident that if God is for us, who can be against us? That we're sharing this truth that will change life. And then they said, let the miracles happen. Okay, so maybe you're not the apostle or the prophet or the pastor or the evangelist or the teacher or the bishop or his highness or his eminence or somebody like that. But maybe the, the, the miracle is just a confirmation that the word of God is true. And so in your life, the kingdom comes through you. That's what he's saying. What do signs, wonders, and miracles do? They confirm that word you heard is true. That word is true. And so what do we say? Let your kingdom come through us, God. Let your kingdom come. Let me love people in such a way that the kingdom comes through here. Let me forgive people in such a way that the kingdom walks through here. Let me love my unsaved family in such a way that the kingdom comes in through my love. Let me be kind. Let me be graceful. Let me be good. And, and then if somebody is sick, we walk up with cheerful confidence. Are you with me? And we pray for them. We don't have to put our hand in the air and change into our King James voice. Oh, thou God that sittest among the cherubim. What is that? What is that? Who healed anybody like that? Oh, the God of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and Nehoboam and Sheoboam. Oh, God. Why don't you just say with a smile on your face, in the name of Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Why don't you stop acting like you're holy and just act like you're helpful? Oh, Lord, we're going to help this. You know, what about just saying, 
Jesus. Jesus. What about just quit acting spiritual and let the Holy Spirit come through your life? What about trying to be churchy and just be real? What about just saying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done? What about just saying, God, I never prayed for someone to be healed before, but your word says, in this moment, I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's not about me anyway. I'm just the vessel. I'm just the conduit. I'm just what you use to let your kingdom come. And when God does that, the house shakes. People are saved. Lives are changed. We do what he put us on this earth to do. Amen? I want you to stand with me. Come on, let's pray together right now that God will continually fill his people. How many can say amen to that? I don't know about you, but I need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody else in the house have a need for that? Can I tell you something? And I'm not trying to be funny or trivial in an important moment. Your family wants you to be continually filled. Your marriage needs two people that are being continually filled. Go read Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit. I could teach you. Listen, I want you to help hear me. It's not that I'm against these things. We have marriage seminars and conferences. I can tell you a hundred things, listen to me, that you should do to make your marriage work. Are you listening? I feel the Holy Spirit direct me say this now. I could give you ten steps to be a better husband. I can give you 10 steps to be a better wife. I understand those things. I've read those things. I've read the books. I've been there, done that. Got the t-shirt from it. But if that's not who you are, if that's not what you want to do, that's not going to help you. Giving you 10 things to do that you can't do. But here's what I can tell you. If your marriage needs something, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit flow through you. And the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow through you. And it's not ten things I have to do. It's the life of God flowing through us in this situation now. And what begins to happen is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Against these things. So you tell me, you get a husband and a wife, love, joy, peace, kindness, Goodness, self-control. Oh, there's going to be some good things happening in that house. There are going to be some great things happening in that marriage. And how did that happen? How did that happen? Romans 5, 5 says, And the love of God is shed abroad through our hearts, through the power of the Holy Spirit. God will help you love when you can't love. Your marriage will become a testimony to your family. Your marriage will become a testimony. Listen to me. Your children need to see a spirit-filled marriage. Your family members need to see a spirit-filled marriage. Our nation needs to see a spirit-filled marriage. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.